listening to the Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast. Today's message comes to us from Senior Pastor of Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church, Matthew Smith. Hey, I'm glad you're here, whether you're live here in person or you're online. I know there's a bunch of people watching. Um, welcome. I'm glad you're here at the Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church in one way or another. Um, I've got two helpers this morning, Ian and Iago de Oliveira, that are passing out a word finders and a study guide. If you are watching online, I wanted you to be able to participate. And so if you'll go to our website, mariettaadventist.org forward slash study guide, you'll be able to download the PDFs of the study guide and the word finders, and it'll help you follow along so that you can participate even if you're in your home right now. But I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome to the Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church. I know we have um, several visitors from other neighboring churches that their church closed, and so you're worshiping with us, and that's probably the similar online, too. You had lots of choices, and you chose to worship here, so I'm glad that you are here this morning. Welcome. Hey, if you're just joining us, whether you're, uh, this is your first time physically here or you're online, we are finishing up a sermon series today. Um, some may say that it applies directly to coronavirus. Others may say, hey, you're just finishing up your series Either way, we're finishing up this series called The Better Life, and it's the uh, first few words that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount as he spoke the Beatitudes. We're calling it The Better Life, a life that comes from uh, Jesus as he uh, fills your life with his presence. And if you remember, if you've been following along, there's several things you've got to know about these Beatitudes in The Better Life. Number one, these are not things that we achieve, things that we try to get these pieces of a better life, but something that happens to you as Jesus fills your life. The second thing is these are steps in an order as you're growing with God. Uh, the very first one, and I'm going through all, all eight of them right now. The very first one was, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we talked about seeing our own poverty and our need for someone outside of us, need for a savior. Then we talked about, blessed are the, the, uh, those that mourn, not boo-hoo crying, but mourn for sin in your life. That's confession, this next step in a life with Jesus. Then there was blessed are the meek, where you're uh, humbling yourself before God and, and letting him lead in your life. And then there was the tipping point one, you remember. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not your righteousness, not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. And from that point on, God gives you these virtues. Uh, the next one, blessed are the merciful. It's a virtue that God gives you. Um, you experience his mercy, and therefore you can be merciful to someone else. The next one, blessed are those that are pure in heart. Not because you can clean yourself out, but because Jesus fills you and the junk loosens up and goes away. Last week we said, we talked about Jesus, how he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, we talked about the assurance of salvation, this peace that happens as you realize that you can trust God for who he is and, and what he does for us and how that you can share that peace with others, being a peacemaker. And finally today, we get to the last beatitude, the last step in this process of knowing God. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. I'll put it on the screen for you. Here's what it says. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, as uh, there's... Uh, anxiety and panic and fear around our globe as it feels like this worldwide virus is stalking each one of us. 
may we set our worries aside and focus on you as you speak into our hearts and lives this morning. I ask that you will bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. About a year ago, I used this illustration, but it fits so well I'm using it again. On the morning of April 20, 1999, kids woke up as usual. Some were going to be late to school. Some had forgotten their lunches like they always did. Some had algebra tests. Some had uh, English quizzes. Some didn't want to go to school. Some pretended they were sick. Others just bucked it up and went. Um, But the morning was the same for a young girl named Cassie. Here's a picture of her. Cassie Bernal, a young 17-year-old girl, a beautiful girl. In fact, she'd already woken up and she'd spent her time with Jesus, as she always did every morning, because that was her routine. She would open the Bible and she'd read and spend time with him. It was her favorite part of the day. She hadn't always been like that. In fact, uh, just two years before this, she was messed up in the occult and witchcraft. And she was fascinated by suicide. But she had gone to West, uh, West Bowles Christian Church, and she'd given her life to Jesus. And from then on, her life would be different. And on this morning, April 20, 1999, she'd spent her time with Jesus, and off to school she went. And at some point during the day, she was studying in the library when the doors crashed open of the library, and two young men, Dylan Klebold, 18 years old, and Eric Harris, 17 years old, came in fully armed. One of the gunmen said, if you are a Christian, stand up. And without hesitation, Cassie stands up and she comes to the front of the library. And with a gun pointed at her head, the gunman asks, do you love Jesus? What's she going to do? I mean, she has this choice to make. Is she going to say yes and she knows what will happen? Is she going to say no and deny him? But she doesn't hesitate. And she says yes. And the gunman asks her why. And then pulls the trigger. Persecution. Some people are terrified of persecution. Living in fear. Oh, the end times are coming. What what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Uh, Is it going to hurt? What's going to happen to my family? Others live in denial. Others don't even care about it. And yet Jesus says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It seems like it's a part of the better life that God talks about. You know, it happened in 1999. It happened in the Old Testament, too. In fact, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to Daniel chapter 3, where we see more young people put through a test, put through persecution, as they have to stand up for what they believe. And as you're turning there, Daniel chapter 3, I'll give you some context. You've got King Nebuchadnezzar. We'll call him King Neb. And he's, uh, he's the king of Babylon. And he's headed to Jerusalem because he's going to siege the city. He's going to conquer the city. And he's going to take all the good stuff. So he takes the gold. He takes the, the wonderful things from Jerusalem. And he also picks and chooses the, gr- the good guys. The good-looking guys. The smart guys. The ones that have a lot of potential. And he takes them back to Babylon. And the idea is that he can train them for three years He'll, he'll learn them, he'll teach them the literature of Babylon. They'll learn all the different historical pieces of this Babylonian empire and this kingdom. And then they will lead the country. And among those people that were taken, you've got these guys, Daniel and his friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as you may know them in their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they get to uh, Babylon, and the king serves them up the best food that he can feed them. 
He's got the wine. He's got the king's meat. It's wonderful. And yet they serve these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and, the, and they say, not for us. We have committed our life to God, and we believe our bodies are temples, and so we don't want to put that stuff in us. Um, is there a way we can have just simple water and maybe some oatmeal or some pulse, I think is what they call it. Just kind of a, a, a simple food. They, they're standing for God already. Several, a, a little while later, the king has a dream. You may know this story that's in Daniel chapter 2. He has this dream, and he wakes up, and he can't remember what he's dreaming, and so he calls all the, the smart guys, his scholars and his sorcerers, and he says, hey, guys, you tell me what I dreamed, and you tell me what it means, and if you don't, I'll kill you. Well, there's not a human on the planet that can do this, and so they try, and they, they have no idea. Finally, Daniel gets involved, and Daniel shows up, and the king says, Daniel, you tell me my dream, and you tell me what it means, and he says, I can't, but I know the one that can. God reveals the dream to Daniel and the interpretation, and he tells the king of this, this millennial man, this multi-mineral image of this guy, this uh, historical yet prophetic picture that shows the kingdoms that would come. And he says, you, O king, are the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. It's your kingdom up here. Nebuchadnezzar likes that. King Neb, he says, yes, I like that. Gold is good, and I'm the head. I like this. In fact, he likes it so much that he decides to build a 90-foot-tall gold, all-gold image of this man representing his kingdom that would last forever. And he goes one step further than that, and he says, I'd like all the people in the land to come and bow down and worship this, this idol, this image, as, as if you're worshiping me. So all the people come together, and in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4, here's what happens as the people are crowded together in this plain. It says this, Daniel chapter 3, verse 4. When the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. If you're there that day, what are you doing? What are you going to do? They're standing there, everyone's standing. The music begins to play. And I wonder if you were standing there watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what do they do? Do they confer with each other? Hey, what are you, you going to do? What's your plan? What are you going to do? Do they silently stand there, focused on what God's calling them to do and be? How do they react when everyone else bows down? Do you think the guy next to them that's bowing down realizes somebody's standing next to them? And he tugs on their robe. Hey, guy, get down. You're going to die. And as the king scans the thousands and thousands of people that are there, he sees three standing up. And so he calls for them to come. So the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come before the king, and the king says, What are you doing? Do you think they make excuses? Well, well king, we heard the harp and we heard the lyre, and we heard the drums, but we didn't hear the zither, so uh, we were just waiting for all the music to be played. What do you think they did? They said, listen, king, we can't bow down. He says, I'll give you one more chance, uh, and otherwise you're going to be thrown into the fire. And they say, king, it doesn't matter how much music you play, we are not bowing down to this idol. So the king, who's furious, he, he orders those furnaces, those ovens to be stoked and made seven times hotter. In fact, it's so hot that the guards on the outside are burned and die because of it. 
And he takes these three men and he throws them into the furnace. And as he watches them in furiousness, furiosity, that's not a word, as he's, he's furious about what's happening, and he counts these people in there. There's one man, there's two men, there's three men, but there's a fourth, and he says that he looks like the Son of God. I can only imagine the king as he comes close to look a little bit, and he puts the hand over his face to kind of guard himself from the heat, and he says, come out of there, guys! And as they come out, their clothes aren't burned, their hair isn't singed, they don't even smell like you've gone camping. And here's what happens, Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. That's incredible persecution and incredible faith and an incredible protector. That's God in the midst of their flames. And we think of Cassie's story, and we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story, and we oftentimes think, oh, poor guys, they're the ones that got picked on. They're the ones that the devil attacked. But I wonder, maybe persecution should be happening more and more to us than we think. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, I heard someone say this once. If the devil isn't angry with you, you must be doing something wrong. But if that offends you, I'll rephrase it. How about this? If the devil isn't attacking you, it's because he doesn't see you as a threat. Sometimes I laugh at our situation. What persecution do we have today? You know, persecution like, well, my boss thinks it's weird that I go to church on Saturday. Ooh, that's some tough persecution right there. Kind of poking fun a little bit. Some high schoolers, ah, I couldn't stay for the whole football game on Friday night. I had to leave at sundown. My life is ruined. But let's be real for a minute, because do, is there persecution in our country? Uh, or do we, do we have it easy because we're in America? Uh, do you think that we don't sense it too much because the devil's backed off from us? I mean, people are getting beheaded with ISIS, and here we are in America in this protected country. If we aren't feeling much persecution as a Christ follower, then it's probably, be, probably because we aren't doing anything that threatens the devil. I mean, think of it this way. Uh, Ellen White, she writes in the book Desire of Ages, she talks about John the Baptist, who Jesus calls the greatest man. Um, John is there. He's at the river. People are, are surrounding him. And he's preaching the gospel message. He's talking about confession and repentance and a savior that can save you for all eternity. And people are coming into the water and being baptized, giving their hearts to Jesus and accepting him as their savior. And Ellen White, and I'm paraphrasing here, she describes the scene as Satan who stands on the banks, on the shore, as John is baptizing people. And Satan is shaking because he's terrified of the message that John preaches because he realizes that it will ruin his kingdom. Man, that's the kind of persecution that I want that makes the devil shake in his boots because the gospel is so offensive. Following Jesus and the better life, it's a life that comes with persecution. 
It's a life that is way more than deciding between Big Franks and Little Links and being a vegetarian. It's way more than coming to church every week. It's way more than just memorizing a Bible verse now and again. When your life is wrapped up in ministry and serving God with your whole life, everything that you do and say, it becomes a threat to the devil. When your life exists to preach the gospel, it's offensive to the devil. And I want that. And when your life is offensive to the devil, he is going to attack. It might not be a gun to your head. It might not be a fiery furnace, but you can guarantee that persecution comes your way. It's going to come in different forms. Maybe it comes in the form of your family or your marriage or your finances or your kids making the most important decisions they'll ever make. It may come in the form of extreme temptation or struggles about honoring God with your life. But he does persecute, even if it's in minor ways. But just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the middle of their fiery furnace, and Jesus shows up to comfort them, He's with you every moment of your life, too, and shows up in your trial and your persecution, too. In fact, Spiros Zodiades, this this, uh, commentator that we've been using on this series, he writes in The Blessed Life, he says this, God is as faithful to give comfort of his presence to to people who have the courage of their convictions today as in the days of Daniel and his friends. And so true. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like in the fiery furnace he was there, he'll be in your fiery furnace too. You know, in a way, Christians choose persecution. That sounds funny. But in all the other Beatitudes, you choose them too. You choose to uh, be poor in spirit and accept Jesus as your Savior. You choose to mourn over sin in your life and confess your sins. And just like those, we choose to be a Christ follower and it comes with persecution. Now, here's the deal. Matthew, as he's recording Jesus, and he's, as he's writing, he records this as a, let me get this straight, it is a perfect passive participle, as Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. It's a perfect passive participle, meaning it happened. Not necessarily happening, but it's as if Jesus is saying, the very first moment that you accepted Jesus as your Savior, persecution started. This morning, in our fundamentals class, as we're talking through baptism today, we talked about how after baptism, the devil hates you taking a stand for Jesus, and he comes and attacks you. I mean, Jesus' life is the same way. He spent 40 days out in the wilderness with Jesus, or with the devil trying to manipulate him and get him to, to, to sin or do something that he didn't want to do. And it's the same with us. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you're taking a stance for who you follow, and the devil comes. But I think there's more in this verse. In fact, Jesus continues in this verse, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10. Here's verse 11. It continues. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, that's an attitude, isn't it? Rejoice, be glad. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to rejoice and be glad as the devil attacks. That doesn't make sense. But it's not the act of being persecuted that makes you blessed. Uh, It's not some trophy that you wear on your back that says, ah, the devil attacked me. You don't get bragging rights in heaven because you were persecuted. Persecution isn't something that you look for. It is something that happens because of a life devoted to Jesus 
and it's the response from the persecution that Jesus calls blessed. Here's what Ellen White writes in her commentary on this passage. She says, persecution should bring joy. Man, that doesn't make sense. Persecution should bring joy to the disciples of Christ, for it is an evidence that they are following in the steps of their master. Oh, that's beautiful to me. That's, per, that means persecution is affirmation that I'm living a life that honors God. You ever thought of it that way? Confirmation and affirmation that you're doing something right. She continues, she says, if you are called to go through the fiery furnace for his sake, Jesus will be by your side even as he was with the faithful three in Babylon. Those who love their Redeemer will rejoice at every opportunity of sharing with him humiliation and reproach. The love they bear their Lord makes suffering for his sake sweet. Man, that changes my perspective on persecution. What a joy it is to let the gospel live in my life and the persecution that comes from it. Does your attitude in trial and persecution, does it contribute to the blessedness or does it detract from it? When you feel the devil breathing down your neck through the influences of people around you, through society, from even your own family, do you rejoice that you have an opportunity to share Jesus with others or do you crumble beneath the pressure? Do you use the struggles and hardships that you face as a way not to feel persecuted, but as an opportunity to share the Jesus that you know. I wonder if we should describe this beatitude this way. Blessed are they in whose lives persecution was permitted to become a blessing. Persecution is real. You've felt it in one way or form. It's real attacks from the devil as you stand up for your faith. And Jesus said, blessed are those that are persecuted and rejoice because they remain faithful in Jesus. But there's a kicker here in these Beatitudes, and, and I'd love for you to follow along in Matthew chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along and read it with your own eyes. Matthew chapter 5, where these Beatitudes are found. Verses 3 through 11, but we're going to go 3 through 10. There's a kicker here. Uh, usually the kicker is at the end of the, the passage. Today's blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But I want to see them all in a picture because there's a message as you see them in completeness. We've talked about each one separately. There's a, there's a point here in all of them in completeness that I think is powerful. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Present tense, is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And finally today's, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's almost as if Jesus has a, a special message for you today. He's bookmarked, bookended the, all the Beatitudes with a present tense of, of theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I believe he's telling you and me this morning, 
that no matter what beatitude you're on, no matter what step you are in the better life, from the very beginning to the very end, there's a message, and I think it's this one right here, that heaven is your home, that the kingdom of heaven is yours. From the very first step of accepting Jesus as your Savior to the last step of living a life that gets persecuted because of your commitment to him, heaven is your home. Your kingdom of heaven is yours. Isn't that a beautiful message? No matter what step you're on, if you're, if you're struggling with following God with meekness and humility, if you're trying to understand his mercy to give mercy, if you're trying to accept the assurance of his salvation, no matter where you are, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Yesterday morning, in this sanctuary, something special happened. In fact, uh, Jackie and Luke and I were busy answering emails and calls about what's going to happen with church? What are we going to do as we're trying to figure out what we should do as we've sent emails to the church board and the church board responded and affirmed the, the idea of continuing to have church. As we're processing all this, I'm, I'm on the phone and I come into the lobby and there's a young man that came to the door and he came pretty quickly and abruptly and he, he grabs the handle of the door and he pulls on it. And during the week, all the doors are locked. There's these magnets that hold them closed. And he pulls it again. And, and I recognize him. I'm on the phone, so I'm a little distracted. And I see this young man, and I met him last Sabbath after church. Uh, he wasn't here worshiping, but he came after to meet up with his girlfriend. And I see him, and I said, I, said, I let him in. And, and uh, he's obviously kind of uh, disheveled in his face and wondering what's happening. And, and he says, I need help. And my phone call has just started, and it's with a guy I don't know too well, and it was just kind of an awkward timing. And I just said, can you give me just a minute or two? And he said, yes, I'll wait in the sanctuary. And so I take the phone call, and I, and I talk with the guy for just a couple of minutes. And I come into the sanctuary in the back doors, and I don't see anyone anymore. And, and so I just called out. I said, hey, are you in here? And he pops up. He's right here, face down on the, on the floor, right in front of the pew, right here. And I'm thinking, what is going on? I come down to the front and I said, hey, man, tell me what's going on. And, and he's, he's in panic mode. And I said, tell me what, what's happening. And he, he says, he knew it all along. And I said, what do you mean? He knew this was going to happen. And I, You're talking about Corona? And he says, yeah. And he said, you, so God has known this all along. He said, yes. I'm trying to decipher all the, the clues he's throwing out there or the clues that he's not throwing out there. It's like an a, a Easter egg hunt trying to figure out what he's trying to say here. I say, oh, so, so you're worried about corona and, and God's predicted this long ago? He said, yes, my girlfriend last night, she shared it with me. She took me to Matthew chapter 24 and all the signs of the end and the pestilences that would come. And I said, yes, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what will happen in the future. You can trust him. And then he goes on to some other things, which is interesting to see his progression of understanding who God is. You can kind of see him where he is on this better life, these steps to knowing Jesus better. He's, he's at the beginning. He hasn't even taken the first step yet, but he's getting other stuff that's way on in the life of a disciple. And uh, he says, did you know? Well, actually, he said, are you vegan? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm vegetarian, though. Did you know we're not supposed to eat meat? And I thought, okay, here we go. Some, somebody's giving him a Bible study somewhere. I said, tell me more. And he said, yeah, the original diet's supposed to be, uh, you know, Fruits and veggies. I said, yep. We talked a little bit about that. It's interesting what he's grabbing from different places and hearing. Uh, it's, it, anyway, it's funny how Adventists give Bible studies sometimes. Start with the health message. There you go. Start with a vegan. Uh, so he continues on, and, 
and he's talking about um, how the night before, Thursday night, he had an interesting experience where he knelt down and he started praying for forgiveness. And as he's praying for forgiveness, he begins to feel heat in his legs and his feet. He said, I don't know what that was. And I'm thinking, I don't know either, man. You got feet problems. And, and uh, it could go either way with this. I thought, well, man, this, I didn't say this. I thought, well, this could be devil or this could be God. And I gave God credit. And I said, well, I wonder if God's working in your life, brother. He said, I think he is. And we started talking some more about his journey and his forgiveness and what he was feeling like. And uh, as he's asking for forgiveness of sins. And I said, brother, that, that's the beautiful message, man, that Jesus died for sins. And he said, what? I said, yeah. I said, we're all sinners. I said, do you know what wages are? And we went through Romans. Wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. I mean, this is the gospel message. This guy, we're in the Bible Belt, and he's never heard of Jesus. He's heard about vegetarianism. <laughs> and as we're talking about this, um, I, I said, man, I, I think God's moving in your heart, and it's our response that makes all the difference. What have you done to respond to this? You've asked for forgiveness. Have you accepted him as your Savior? And he said, what does that mean? And we talked some more. We talked about who Jesus is and what he's done for him. And he said, well, how do I ask for him to be my Savior? And I said, well, it's easy. You just got to ask. And so right here on this front pew, just yesterday morning, we spent some time together in prayer. And in the middle of the prayer, I gave him an opportunity to ask Jesus to be his Lord and Savior in his life. And after we finished praying, I said, hey, man, do you have a Bible? And he said, no. And I said, well, I got one for you. And so we went back to my office, and there's a, a bin in there where I've purchased some nice leather Bibles. Oftentimes I give them out as uh, baptismal gifts. And I went and I got one of these. Daniel, you've got one of these. And I got this nice leather Bible and I brought it out to him and he, he holds it up and Jackie's sitting in her chair and I introduced them and he's standing there and he says, Holy Bible. And they said, hey, where can I get a New Testament? And I said, oh, you don't know what you're holding. Come here, man. We sat down and I opened his Bible and we looked at the table of context and uh, and look, there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. I showed him all about it. I said, man, you need to start, you need to read here in the Gospels. Why don't you start in the book of Mark, man? This is, it, this is easy to read and you'll love it. It doesn't matter if you are taking the first step like this young guy in a relationship with Jesus. Don't even know who he is. Don't even have a Bible. Kingdom of heaven is yours. It doesn't matter if you're the last step and you're living your life in such a way that it honors God so much that the devil won't leave you alone. The kingdom of heaven is yours. From the first step to the last step, Jesus is with you all to give you the better life and the blessed life. This morning I'm going to end with a prayer, and I'll give you an opportunity in the middle of the prayer just to talk to Jesus. It'll be 30 seconds. And uh, you can talk to him about whatever you want. Maybe this morning you uh, are asking him to help you go to the next step. Maybe it's meekness and humility as you lean on his understanding of life. Maybe it's mercy and giving others mercy or accepting his mercy. Maybe it's having assurance of salvation. Maybe it's the first step of accepting Jesus as your Savior. Whatever that step is, I invite you to pray with me now and you can talk to him too. Heavenly Father, this morning as we listen to the words of Jesus, as uh, we're challenged by his calling to live a life that honors you in such a way that we might have persecution and hopefully will have it because we are a threat to the devil. 
we're challenged this morning, God. And as I open this prayer up for this congregation that are here this morning and those that are watching online, uh, you're going to hear a lot of people speak to you about where they are in their journey with you. So listen carefully now. God, you've heard our prayers. And we thank you for being with us through our journey. It's because of you that we're journeying. Ask that you'll go with us now. God, we love you. We can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name. We hope you were inspired by today's message, and we would love to hear from you. If you would like to contact one of our pastors, find out more about what we believe, or for information about our service times in Marietta, Georgia, please visit www.mariettaadventist.org. If you were inspired by today's message, please share it with your friends. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are available.